Thanks, guys. That was great. Aren't you glad we're more than the sum of our past, hey? Good morning. I'm Jeff, and uh, great to have you here this morning. Welcome to Friends Church. To all those that are here in person and those that are listening or will be listening online, we're glad you're tuning in over the summer. This is a spiritual gym we call Friends Church. Really, it's an environment that we invite people into to sweat it out a little bit, sometimes in thought, sometimes just reflection and deep meditation about what your life is about, where you're going, who you're becoming. It's a large kind of collection of different avenues the spiritual journey leads us on, but this is an environment that's really designed to kind of push you and stretch you. We're not just going to kind of beat drums of, of certain beliefs that we all agree to and, oh yeah, amen, we're just going to regurgitate the same thing again. No, we want you to think deeply about who you are and where you're going, why you're doing what you're doing. And so uh, we, we're grateful for music that stirs us and in poetic ways challenges us to think about deep themes. I, I love what our musicians crank out every Sunday. Anyways, I'm here to to talk uh, about a couple things. One is um, excited about this summer, or sorry, this fall. Excited about the summer too. We'll take it when we get it. This fall, we're kind of gearing up. We've come out of uh, the dark ages of this pandemic. We feel like things are starting to lift up. It's an exciting time. We're looking at uh, re-emerging. We're sending people away, saying, get out, enjoy your summer. You haven't been able to get out on vacation, a holiday, do different things that you've wanted to do, but... This fall, as we reemerge, we're excited about community life being restored, people jumping back into groups and volunteering in different causes. And so the, all this summer, we, we have this series going called Come Back and what it looks like to return after the pandemic, themes that we think are going to be very relevant as we re-engage in kind of no, a new normal. We're hoping you're enjoying the series that we've been, we've been in. It continues this week, actually. A little mini-series in the middle of the big series. Vince is kicking off, three-parter. I'm excited for this one. Um, anyways, charitable giving. Uh, let me just chat about that for a second. This, this community is supported purely by the work or the, the generosity of our community. Both those people that are in here, there's many people that consider Friends Church their home. This is like a, a small percentage of, of our community. But people predominantly, I think about 95% of our support comes through what we call pre-authorized giving. It's something that people just sign up for. And it just gives us permission to be able to withdraw money from your account every month. And that way it requires less consistency for you to show up and give in that black box at the back. It allows us to be able to plan effectively so we know roughly how much money is coming in so we can be wise stewards of those funds and keep Friends Church pointed straight. But the reality is with all the support that's been coming in, we've got a slow leak. And if you've been around for a while, you'll notice it's kind of a, it's been a pattern over the last while where about every six months I kind of say, all right, guys, <laughs> we're kind of running short here. We got a, a little bit of a a gap here between what we've budgeted for and what's actually come in. And, and then people pull out their wallets and we kind of shore things up. And it's worked out okay. But we would love to be able to kind of shore that up so we're not having to do that on a regular basis and actually get ourselves in a position where we can, right now we're holding off and spending on certain areas, whatever. We would love to be able to get this thing fired up so that enough money is coming in every month to be able to cover everything that's going on. 
So the energy isn't spent trying to catch up. It's rather looking ahead at what we can be doing to build the work of Friends Church. So anyways, all that to say, if you haven't, if you believe in Friends Church and you haven't been supporting or maybe you've been holding off or maybe you're forgetting, this is just a gentle little reminder that your giving makes everything that we're doing possible. So that's you. You can do it one of three ways. You can give it the back, kind of in a cash or check, whatever, in that black box back there. You get a tax receipt for that. You can sign up for pre-authorized giving, or you could go online, and you could do a one-time gift there, too. We get it. Everyone is in different financial positions. Some can, some can't. The beautiful thing is, is for those that are in a position to give, some people are giving even more than they even necessarily need to or want to, to be able to make a way for everyone to enjoy this, maybe to cover off for some other people that can't. So we're grateful for the generosity all the way around, but if you'd like to jump on, here's a gentle nudge. We'd love it. We'd love you to join the financial team of Friends Church, what we call charitable giving. All right, that's all I got. Um, you're in for a treat this morning. Uh, I'll turn it over to Vince. Morning, everyone. I'm going to start my message in a way that no one ever starts messages to tell you that I, as a teacher, am a bit of an idiot. And it's, I'm, I'm honest about this. I've always known that I wasn't dead center of the bell curve. You know, the world looks like this. I've always been a little bit like this. I watch movies with people. I'm the guy in the theater who's laughing when no one else is laughing. You know, the guffaw in the middle of nowhere. I'm the guy who likes to do things that most people don't like. So I have this kind of sense in my brain that I always need to adjust things a little bit. What makes sense in my mind doesn't necessarily make sense in other people's minds. But honestly, I thought I had this part figured out. I thought that the whole issue of same-sex relationships in the church and in the Bible, that conversation was done now. Right? Until somebody sent me uh, an email, a bisexual member of our community sent me an email, said, um, Vince, there's a church in Calgary that just voted to kick all the queer people out of their membership. I remember reading the email and thinking, did you get your dates wrong? Like, this is probably from like 50 years ago. So I went and followed the link and read it, and I was like, holy crap. But, but that's a one-off, right? Communities in, 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 in Christendom, if I can use that phrase, are welcoming and affirming, and that's all good, right? Love. But I read this one, and this, it, I hear that the people who are the core members of their community actually were kicked out. I thought, well, that's brutal. But it's still a one-off, right? So we actually we went on, or we went, we sent a press release to uh, the city of Cal or, uh, Global News, a bunch of different places, and said, "Hey, just just in case these guys aren't an outlier, there's churches there who are completely welcoming to anyone. Doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, doesn't matter what your gender expression is, doesn't matter any of it. You're welcome." And so the news cameras came here. They videotaped my ugly mug, saying like. You're welcome. But I thought, okay, it's done now, right? That's over. So I went online and I looked at our stats for the messages that we've done in the last five years, and I realized the most downloaded message we've ever done, by a large margin, is one we did in 2017 on homosexuality. 
our number one downloaded message. Of all the things we've ever talked about. Now, you guys are all thinking, okay, that makes some sense. I'm still thinking, oh, this is an outlier. Come on. This is not normal. See, this is why I'm telling you I'm a bit of an idiot. So I still wasn't convinced. So I sent out an email to a bunch of queer people in our community just saying, and this is how I worded it, this issue, this, the queer part of your life isn't an issue in spirituality and in church anymore, is it? You like how I led the question? Your answer is, yes, it's not an issue anymore. Guess what I heard back? Heartbreaking stories. People saying, no. Let me tell you my story with church. Let me tell you my story of what people who say that they're Christians have done to me. Because I'm a man and I love a man. Or I'm a woman and I love a woman. And I read through these and I was like, but this isn't an issue anymore, right? I was sitting with somebody, a member of our community, has been with his partner for a long time. And I said, (laughs) I keep, you know, again, I'm an idiot. I keep saying, but this isn't an issue. When you read this stuff, when people send you things, when people post stuff on social media, it doesn't bother you, right? And his response is, Vince, it kills me. I've left family gatherings. I've avoided gatherings of people. I've had friends where I just kind of slowly ghosted away because I didn't even know what to say. They would say something along the lines of, the Bible says you are bad, you are a sinner. I heard one person actually, you are a pedophile. And here's the thing that broke my heart. They said, I didn't know what to say. And so I just kind of turtle. Now here's the part that, again, bit of an idiot. I have a master's degree in biblical interpretation. I spent years studying the Bible. I spent years studying the Bible in the original languages. I learned those languages. I've read critical commentaries. I've read pretty much everything that people have written about this stuff. So when someone posts something brutal against same-sex people online, my reaction is, I laugh. Have you even read the Bible? Do you even know what that verse means? Do you have any idea what you're talking about? It's funny to me. As I sat with the guy, he said, Vince, what you don't realize is not everybody knows what you know. We can't speak to this stuff because we don't know how. That's when I realized we've done you a bit of a disservice. I'll take the blame. I've done you a bit of a disservice. I assumed this was over because in my head it was over. What I didn't do is teach you how to respond. How to be able to respond with your head held high, your heart open. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, I need to make a caveat. Can you throw up the value for me, Esmond? We have a value here that says, 
we honor each person's unique spiritual journey. I'm not going to be up here to tell you what you need to believe about same-sex relationships. You're all on your own journey. We honor that. That's the beauty of Friend Church. Society right now, in my humble opinion, seems like it's moving towards everyone has to believe the same. Friend Church isn't that way. You can believe whatever you want here. But we have a rule. Not what you believe, it's how you behave. Can you throw the next one up? We mandate treating other people with love. It's not what you believe, it's how you treat people. So if you want to be part of Friends Church, you can believe whatever you want about pretty much anything, but you need to be loving. And so today, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I'm going to help you see certain things about this issue, the larger issue of our world right now, I want to help you be able to keep your head held high and say, no, no, I can speak to things. I can respond to things. I don't have to hide. I don't have to turtle. But we're not here to mandate what you believe. Fair? Okay, my journey with same-sex relationships happened, the biggest moment happened, and I've told you guys this story before. I was probably early university. I go back to Manitoba where my family's from. We're having a family reunion. It was at my aunt's house. Aunt, she's lived with us for years. My mom's identical twin sister, so she's not even an aunt. We call her by her first name. She's that close to us. And she sits, she gets, the whole family's around the table. We're all there, and she says, oh, and this is my housemate. Now, that housemate... She usually calls them roommates. What's, what's, what's the housemate word? Yeah. Again, I'm not that smart. Just kind of like walked right past that one. As I'm driving home with my sister, I say, hey, Jules, what's with the housemate word? She's like, yeah, that was a weird one too. I thought that too. She said, oh, by the way, and a little later on, I saw the housemate, when she thought no one was looking, slap our ass, our aunt in the ass. We both had this moment where we're like, well, that's weird. And then we had this weird moment. I remember distinctly, I was like, do you think she's gay? Never thought about it. She's never had a boyfriend that I remember, but she's kind of this eclectic artist who's lived all over the world and had this crazy life. So, you know, who knows? So it was right when we had cell phones, I pulled this little mini cell phone, I dial up my aunt and I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question? She's like, yep, are you gay? This isn't like my subtlest moment, right? <laughs> this is a long, awkward pause. She's like, uh, yep. I was like, okay, cool. What time is supper tonight? You see, her sexual orientation didn't bother me at all. What happened in my brain is I was like, oh, housemate equals partner. Ah, partner pronoun is she. Ah, got it. What do you think that did to my traditional Mennonite family? Anyone have Mennonite background? You all know what that means. This is a hard no-go in traditional Mennonite land. Hard no-go. And Vince, in his infinite subtlety, in his infinite care and wisdom, just outed my aunt in front of everyone with no really like, thought to what this is going to mean in our family. Did I tell you I was a bit of an idiot? 
my grandma, God bless her soul, this didn't go well. This is her daughter. But her tradition says there's something wrong with people, women who love women. The Bible is against that. And in her mind, God, the super being conception of God, is against the daughter that she loves. I spent the next two years arguing with my grandmother. She'd say, but Vince, the Bible says. I'd say, but Grandma, the Bible says. For two years, we spent time. I don't actually think we ever hurt each other. We just like argued back and forth about the same issue without ever changing our minds. Because in my grandma's mind, the way she was taught, her whole upbringing said, if you're a person who loves somebody of the same gender, that's a sin. And so in her, her effort to be devout, to be part of her Christian tradition, she did what we all did. And she goes, well, I have to believe that then. And her brain was locked into that position. And my brain is locked into the other position, right? Call my aunt. You gay? Yep. Okay. I don't care. Completely undermining the depth of the heartache and the mental anguish that traditional Christians had to go through when someone in their life comes out. Or when they realize, wait a second, I love people who look different than the rest of the people. I was reading a book, I figured I, you know, this issue hasn't changed, the Bible hasn't changed, I thought this was, but I thought I should read a new book just to get ready for this message. Because again, I still think the gay debate's done. That's what we used to call it back in the day, the gay debate. So I haven't really researched this in the last couple years. Because it's done, right? So I started reading this book about, about a guy, from a guy named John Brownman. He's doing some research on biblical idea. He's, he's a famous researcher that basically said, the Bible says same-sex relationships are bad. This is where he comes from. Until one day, his son, about 18 years old, his son he loves dearly. He's part of his life. He's been in the church his whole life. These people are traditional and devout. And the son comes to him and his wife and says... I'm gay. He says it just. All the things he grew up believing about gay people were wrong because he's going, no, no, but this is my son. I've raised him. He's a beautiful, beautiful human being. How can I think that there's something wrong with him because of who he's sexually attracted to. And so he went back to the, the Bible and he started researching again because he's going, <laughs> I'm against same-sex relationships, but my son just came out. I gotta figure out a way to not disown my son. And so he spent the next couple years writing a book. Can you throw the book title up for me, Esmond? Bible, gender, sexuality, reframing the church's debate on same-sex relationships. Y'all can read it if you want, but I'll give you the Cole's notes. He basically says, it's all good. The Bible doesn't speak against 
same-sex relationships. Now, if you're clever, you're thinking to yourself, wait a second. An hour ago, you were against same-sex relationships. Your son comes out, and suddenly you're for same-sex relationships. Really? That's pretty convenient, isn't it? We all kind of throw out our hands and say, oh, yeah, talk about some bias here, right? But here's the piece of the puzzle I want to show you guys today. Yes, the author made a decision based on his bias, the son he loves. But we all do too. And it's okay. You see, my grandma had a bias going into the conversation. Her tradition says, if you love people of the same gender, there's something wrong. It's a sin. The conception of a super being God is angry at you. That's her bias. And everything she reads, she reads through that bias. I have a different bias, and I read everything through that other bias. But we do it all, all of us do it. And I'll try and show you in the most profoundly spiritual way with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Did anyone follow that? Come on, admit it. You all know. When I was in my second year of university, uh, I, needed, I didn't want to live with a roommate, so I needed a job. A friend of mine got me in contact with someone else, got me a job interview. I walk into this hotel, don't really know anything about the job. The guy asks me two questions. First, what's your favorite movie? I blanked. I was like, Star Wars? It's the only name I could think of. He's like, he works for Paramount Pictures Canada. You know Paramount Pictures, the movie studio? He works for Paramount Pictures Canada, and they're looking for an on-campus rep. Then he asks the most important question. And remember, I'm a student, so I've been eating pancakes for the last six months. I'm basically having scurvy because I haven't seen a vegetable in I don't know how long. And he says the most important question. He says, can you go to Toronto for a week, all expenses paid? I was like, sorry, what was that? Yeah, all your food's paid for, your own hotel room, transportation, entertainment. That was the first time I've ever had freshly squeezed orange juice with breakfast. It was like sweet, sweet heaven in a glass. I still remember that orange juice. It was $7. They paid for it. We go through this whole training, you know, I get all this thing. It's this incredible experience. You know, whining and dining us, we're meeting with executives from Paramount. I come back, my job is to hand out movie passes to get people to go to movies. That was a really tough job, huh? But the first movie that I'm promoting is this really weird kind of indie movie called What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Anyone know it? Do you recognize the guy in the middle there? A young, dashing Johnny Depp. I promoted movies for three years, but this was my first. I feel this kind of like weird connection to it. And Johnny, he's my man. I started my career promoting his work in one of his best movies ever. So last year, when I hear that Amber Heard, or no, Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard, because she wrote an article that he says is about uh, accusing him of domestic abuse, I'm thinking, not my Johnny. We're close. I promoted him. So guess which team I'm on? Because 
How long ago? I was going to say 15, 20 years ago? Jeez, I'm old. 30 years ago? A long-ass time ago, I promoted a movie called What's Eating Gilbert Grape starring none other than my Johnny Depp. And so now, when I can feel it, I feel this bias inside of me pulling me towards Team Johnny. Because I promoted his movie once. There's a, uh, a journalist who said, he actually went through and started to analyze why people have biases in this case. Why some of them are Team Johnny, some of them are Team Amber. He said this, there's basically a lot of boring men who think Johnny Depp is cool. So they're Team Johnny. That's not me, by the way. I'm much cooler than that. <laughs> some of you said, Harry Potter adults are mad that Depp was removed from the Fantastic Beast franchise after he was accused of domestic violence. So they're against Amber. Don't be wrecking my Harry Potter. This is before even the cases started. Some people go just on gender, right? She's a woman. I'm with her. Some people go on this notion of uh, domestic violence. Johnny Depp is physically bigger, therefore clearly he did it. Some people go on sexual orientation. Amber Heard defines as bisexual. I'm supporting her because I want to support that community. Do you see how we have this pull towards things? It's a bias that before the case is even happening, as we're even watching the case, we're reading it through the, what's eating Gilbert Grape? Johnny's my man. He couldn't have done that. He's Johnny Depp. Or Amber Heard is this or that. It's a bias that pulls us in one direction or another. And here's the problem. We think that we shouldn't have bias. We think we should just be able to, to see things on the, the facts themselves. Can everyone see now that that really doesn't happen? We all have biases that push and pull us. If you're angry at your partner, and your partner says something that you can be taken two ways, a positive or negative way, and your bias is you're angry at them, how do you think you're going to take that comment? Our biases pull us to see the world through a certain lens. So I've told you a whole bunch of stuff around Johnny Depp and around my, my family, and the question you're probably asking is, who gives a shit, right? How does this apply to same-sex relationships? And here's how it goes. That line that says that we use our bias to interpret things applies to how we read anything in the Bible. I originally thought after someone finally convinced me that I need to talk about this, I was like, well, I was going to take all the passages from the Bible. They call them the clobber passages. It's what you use to beat people who are same sex over the head. I'll just interpret them all and then you guys will be done. But the reality is, we all have a bias that's pulling us. The people in our life have a bias that's pulling us. And I can interpret texts all day long, but if your bias is pulling you in a certain direction, that will always flavor it. And here's what I want to say, that's okay. The problem happens when that bias 
shifts. So there's this line. I was reading about it in his book. It's this great line from the Bible. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. Not one of the clobber passages, but man and wife united as one. If your bias is that the Bible speaks to Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, then you read this passage and you think, oh, well, this clearly says that what this whole thing is about, the whole biblical narrative is about a man and a woman. And they're united sexually as one. And you can't do that if they're the same sex, right? Now, here's the funny part. The original translation of that line changes uh, joined to his wife. They use the word cling. A man clings to his wife. That sounds a bit different, doesn't it? Almost every interpreter who's ever looked at that said, no, it's not about sexual clinging. It's about kinship clinging. Two people will create a unit, and that unit will fight for each other. If you think that clinging is sexual, there's a story about this woman named Ruth and her mother-in-law. Ruth is married to this woman's son. The son passes away. Ruth and the mother-in-law are now trying to figure out how to support themselves. It says that Ruth clings to the mother-in-law. Same word. If this is about sexual orientation, then Ruth is clinging to his mother, her mother-in-law meaning it's sexual between them. Gets tricky, doesn't it? But you can feel already that the bias that we have, the bias that we see from the world around us, the bias that we see in media, the bias we see in social media, is flavoring different people to say different things. Cling means sexual. That's what it's, the whole thing's about, male and female. That's what this verse is about. The next group is saying, no, 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 has nothing to do with that. It says kinship bond. This isn't about sexuality. This is just an example of two people taking care of each other. It doesn't matter what gender combination you have. Two people can take care of each other. Now here's where this thing gets tricky, and here's where I see it in the world around us, and here's why I wanted to do this message first. In interpretation theory, I did all of my like, master's degree on this. Whenever you look at a series of words you have kind of two major options. You can either interpret it as there's only a single possible interpretation of these words, single. Or there's a multiple number of valid interpretations of this line. What happens though is most texts have multiple valid interpretations. You can define cling as sexual. You can define cling as not sexual. Both valid. There's this famous line, Amber Heard is, is recorded. Um, I, I didn't follow it a lot. They play this recording. It's quite damning. Can, Esma, can you throw it up for me? She says to Johnny Depp, my Johnny Depp again, I'm sorry that I didn't hit you across the face in a proper slap, but I was hitting you. I, it was not punching you. Babe, you're not punched. 
I don't know what the motion of my actual hand was, but you're fine. I did not hurt you. I did not punch you. I was hitting you. What is she talking about here? Does anyone actually know? He's defining it as you've punched me or you hit me. She's saying, I should have slapped you, but I didn't punch you. Slapping makes me think like across the face. Punching makes me think closed hand. Did she hit him with the back of her hand? Was, like, was there an elbow involved in this? Is there a single possible interpretation of that quote? Could it be that he's right and she's right? She's saying, I, I didn't slap you, I didn't punch you, but what is it? The courts spend, I don't know how many millions of dollars of our money trying to figure out what exactly she meant by that. The reality is, there's probably 10 different interpretations of that, and they're all valid. But here's what we do. We take our bias that says, this is the interpretation that I prefer, and then we say it's the only one that's valid. Can you see the last jump I did? There's a series of interpretations we can do on any topic. Same-sex relationships in the Bible. There's a text that has multiple interpretations. Clean could be sexual, could be non-sexual, could be kinship, could be a bunch of different things. But then we take our interpretation that our bias says that we bought into, and we say that's the only valid interpretation. That last shift is what I want to talk about today. Everything I've talked about, all this stuff that I've talked about, all the detail, all the content, all the learning, is to get us to that moment. Anyone through the pandemic feel like they got locked into a single valid interpretation for a time? Vaccine, not vaccine. At the beginning, I hated masks. My wife will remember this. I was like, I'm not wearing a mask. These things are stupid. I'd only read stuff that was like anti-mask propaganda because I was like, I don't want to wear it. My bias is saying I don't want to wear it. It took me a long time to finally go, okay, masks do make some difference. I'll wear one. But for a long time, I wouldn't even conceive of that because I was locked in. The multiple number of valid interpretations, I locked into a single interpretation the only valid interpretation in my mind. Think through the world around you right now. How much of our world is locked into what they think is a single valid interpretation? Are any of the big issues in the world single valid interpretation issues? Poverty, race, sexual orientation, Can you feel what happens, though, when you take all these multiple valid interpretations and you lock into a single one? That's me and my grandma, basically banging our heads against the wall because we're locked in. We can't conceive of another valid interpretation. The one we like is the only one. And in order to have this conversation around same-sex relationships, in order to have any conversation in our world right now, I think being locked in is the key problem that we're dealing with right now. 
people aren't even open to saying, hey, if something new came along, I would change my mind. They're like, no, this is right. This is the only right. Everybody else is wrong. We take something that has a multiple number of valid interpretations, we collapse it into a single, and then we think our way is the only way. I can tell you with every bit of education I have and every bit of honesty that I have that there's a valid interpretation of every biblical text that said if you're a man who loves a man, you are as loved as if you're a man who loves a woman. And there's a valid interpretation that says if you're a woman and you love another woman, you are as loved as a woman who loves another man. If you conceive of a Jesus who loves people, you are as loved as anybody else, regardless of what your sexual orientation is. There is a valid interpretation to support that. And you can stand with your head held high and say, look, there's a valid interpretation of every single text that says you're okay, that you're loved, that you're welcome that your life is not sin. And here's the painful part. There's an equally valid translation that says there's a problem. And loving somebody of the same gender is somehow wrong. People say, Vince, you can't say that on stage. You have to say that the Bible supports same-sex people. The Bible doesn't support all kinds of stuff. It doesn't support me. I'm a Gentile. It says clearly, Jesus says clearly, I did not come for the Gentiles. It says clearly, he did not come for me. Awesome. But there's another reading that says, no, his actions were different than what he said. If you want a single valid interpretation from the Bible, you're not going to find it. If we're honest, there's multiples. If we try and collapse it into a single valid interpretation, we're locked in. We believe in this idea of awareness. We say our spiritual journey is based on awareness. Can you throw up the model for me, Esmond? To start this conversation, to start any of this conversation, I don't just want to sit up here and kind of hammer certain verses. What I want us to do is start to have awareness around how we're reacting to things. You can feel when you're locked in, when someone says something different from you, and you can feel the tension inside of you. Alison Armstrong calls that instinct. It's like we're fighting against this belief that I have the right answer. Awareness says, wait a second, why am I reacting so strongly here? Awareness looks at somebody in the eye and says, oh, wait. You're locked in on this topic, whatever the topic is. You watch the news and you see people kind of ranting about this is the way and this is the only way. Now the awareness you have is you're like, oh, you've locked in. There's multiple ways of seeing that issue, but you think your way is the only way. And by definition, that's probably wrong. But there's nothing I can say to change your mind. Anyone willing to admit that they lock 
in on certain topics too. It's always painful, but I'm like, but I'm right. I'm not locked in. I'm right. No, I'm just as locked in. The locking in is the problem. It's why we can't grow. It's why we can't have a conversation. There's multiple valid translations or interpretations of almost anything. If you're open to it. My encouragement is this, not to change your opinion, not to change your bias. That's impossible. Johnny Depp's still my guy. It's to know when I'm saying my interpretation is the only interpretation. It's that last piece that we have to be aware of. Think about if we as a society could spend time having open-minded conversations about some of the big issues and we weren't all locked in. Think about what we could do together. As we leave here today, as we start this conversation, I don't want you to be locked in pro or against. You already know my bias. I'm about as pro-same-sex as you can get. It just doesn't matter to me. You are as loved as anyone else, and I can show you biblically that there's a valid interpretation for that. What I don't want us to do is lock in. So as you go forth today, watch the times you think to yourself, there's nothing anyone could say or do that would change my mind. You're in a fight with your partner and you're like, you said this. If you're in the thinking in your head, there's nothing that they could say to change my mind, you're locked in relationally. If you're someplace and you're thinking of your diet and how you eat food and which foods are good and you're not even willing to have a conversation with anybody, there's no openness, you're locked in. If you're from a tradition that says the only way to read the Bible is an anti-sexual, anti-same-sex reading, you're locked in. If you're like me, with my grandmother and thinking there's only one reading of the Bible that's pro-same-sex relationships and I'm not willing to hear anything else, Grandma. I am locked in. As we go forth today, feel that locked-inness. If you don't have enough awareness to feel in yourself, I get it, that's tough. Watch the people around you. After two years of arguing with my grandmother, after two years of banging my head against the wall, she said to me one day, actually no, it's her, my aunt's partner said to me one day, something shifted. It wasn't me. My grandmother said, I was praying, and I prayed and I had this vision that Jesus came to me and said, your only job is to love. It's not to judge, it's to love. That day, my grandmother unlocked, and she loved. It was the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. She embraced my aunt's partner like she was the daughter she never had. She still wrestles. Well, she doesn't anymore, she's passed away but she still wrestled. It wasn't easy. On the one hand, 
she loved, and on the other hand, she wanted to honor her tradition. She wasn't locked in. She had an open mind. She'd work through things. She'd wrestle with things. She'd pray about things. She did better than I did. As we go forth today, be aware of where you're locked in. Be aware of who around you is locked in. If we can go back from, there's not one valid interpretation, but there's many, our world starts to shift and we can have conversation again. We can be creative again, and we can love again. So today, the piece that I want to empower you is this. When you see someone locked in, honor what's going on inside of them. If you like to bang your head against the wall, argue with them. It's not going to work, but whatever. I tend to like to do that. Honor where you're locked in. Relationally, spiritually socially, politically. Just be aware of what that's doing to you. And know, you now have language to know why things are so divisive, because each side is locked in, and chances are you're part of the problem. I know I am. So today let us, our awareness, show us where we, nothing we can conceive of will change our mind, where we're just completely locked in and let us be open for the first time maybe to see the world in a different way. Amen? I wish you an amazing day. I wish you amazing awareness. And honestly, I wish you amazing amounts of love. Have a great week, everybody.